Evening, church. It's good to be up here. Um, two weeks ago, if you remember, if you weren't here, you can go back to listen to the podcast. Um, two weeks ago, I was preaching on this passage in John chapter 4. Now, what happened was on the scene, Jesus was at a well speaking to a Samaritan, and it was a woman at that. It was in the middle of the day. It was the sun was hot. It was the sun was at its zenith. It was really, really hot. Like today was hot, but th- back then it was, it was really hot. And there was another scene playing out. Now this scene is the perspective of the disciples walking up this mountain. And so they, they just went into the town because Jesus told them to get something to eat. And so they, they just come back from their Macca's run. And they had their fries and the chicken nuggets that Jesus ordered. And then they're walking towards the scene. And they, from a distance, they could recognize, yes, that's Jesus. They could recognize their master silhouettes from anywhere. But there was another person speaking to him. And they're like, well, what's, what's going on? And so they're, they're just walking and walking. As they got closer, they figured out, hey, wait a minute. That's a Samaritan. And that's a woman. And all the disciples were, were thinking. They had some words for this lady and their words for the master. Lady, what do you want? What do you want? Like in a bad way, because back then, Jews and Samaritans, they didn't like each other. Like, what, 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 what do you want? What do you want from our master? And they also had some words for their master, Jesus, as well. Jesus, why are you even talking to her? But no one said a thing because they were all too afraid of Jesus because everything that he says turns out red. And, and even Peter, who often runs his mouth without thinking, is not even saying anything. But they were just confused. And as they walk closer, this lady just drops her jar and she starts running. And if you were one of the disciples back in those days, you'd probably be thinking, good, I hope she runs away. Master, she didn't do anything to you, did she? And as they got closer, they, they came to Jesus, whatever. Hey, Jesus, we, we got what you ordered, fries and chicken nuggets, right? Sorry, they ran out of Sichuan sauce. We just got you sweet and sour sauce. Would that do? And Jesus is like, no, I don't want to eat. And they're like, what do you mean, Jesus? It's, yeah, it's still what you ordered, right? It's just without the sauce. Jesus, what do you, what do you mean you're not going to eat? No, I don't want to eat. And so verse 31, the disciples urged and begged Jesus, Jesus, you need to eat. We know you haven't eaten for a long time. You need to eat. And then Jesus says, I have food that you know nothing of. And the disciples are thinking, Jesus, you had a hidden stash somewhere on you all this time. Did you multiply food again? Like, what are you doing? Like, did that lady already give you some food? You know, the lady that that did a runner. So this scene that the disciples entered from their perspective was utter chaos. It was extremely confusing. What in the world is happening? And it's even going to get messier from here on out. But before we dig further into the passage, would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that we get to open up your word in a place like this. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit reveal to us the food that Jesus is talking about. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So Jesus, he starts explaining in verse 34, my food that you do not know is, is me doing the will of the one who sent me to finish his work. 
This is the food that you don't know about, disciples. Now this passage before last two weeks ago, Jesus was talking about figuratively about this water that he's offering, this living water that once you drink from it, you will never thirst again. And today he's talking about food, but again, figuratively. What he's really saying is, what gives me energy, what motivates me, is to do the will of my Father who sent me. That is what fills me. That is what fuels me. Then it gets more mystifying. Verse 35. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? Four months more and then, what does that even mean? Jesus, we're talking about food and then suddenly you're switching to the harvest. Like what's, what's with all these leapfrogs in conversation? What's with all these jump from conversations to jump? It seems all a bit random. And one of the most challenging things as a pastor living in this time is I'm talking to a bunch of people who they have this saying that four months time and then the harvest will be ready. Okay, back then they understood it, but nowadays you guys won't understand it. This is an ancient agricultural, ancient agricultural culture. Okay, it's an it's a ancient proverb. And it's really just talking about the time when you plant the last seed and, and, and there's this waiting period. Now, there's this waiting period before this harvest. So it's talking about this waiting period. And the thing is, most of us, we don't even... Who, we, we're city dwellers. Not many of us grew up in a farm. Who here grew up in a farm? Okay, so you see one. I know Sister Sue does. That's why whenever she sings, she brings the country in our worship. <laughs> um, anyways... When it talks about this harvest, okay, what comes to your mind when, when you hear that, is that a noun or a verb? Well, anyway, that word harvest. <laughs> what, do you, what do you think when you hear this word harvest? Because I've, I've heard the harvest spoken about by, by TV evangelists before. Okay, so, so what they say, this, this is how they explain the harvest. It goes something along these lines. They say, you're going to go to hell unless you give. You, whatever you have in your wallet, $100. If you have $1,000, even better, you donate that. You give that. You offer that. And it will germinate. It will grow. And you will get and you will reap it tenfold, a hundredfold, a thousandfold. So if you give $100 today, you will get a million dollars when the harvest comes, the harvest is when the blessing comes. And, and not all. If you give now, you'll be cured of all your diseases. They, they say something like that. And now that's, that's not what this harvest is about. Jesus is not talking about money or prosperity. He's not really talking about a, a time. Yes, it is blessing, but it's not a time where you can just sit back and relax. Because most of us here, if we think about harvest, sometimes in our minds we think harvest time, woo, time for me to, you know, just sit back and relax and do nothing. This is when all the blessing is coming. No, 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 no. Any farmer would tell you that harvest time is a time where you don't sit back. No, it's a time where you're almost breaking your back. Why? It's the most busiest time of the year the most busiest time of the year. It's not where you sit back. No, it's a time where you get busy. Why? Because there's only a short window span where you can collect the crops and everything that you don't collect, it will spoil, it will rot, it will be wasted. 
So, harvest. Harvest time. It's when all hands are on deck, all the workers are out, and it's all in for everybody. That's what harvest time means. Jesus then continues. You say four months away is the harvest time. No, 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 no. Look, open up your eyes. The harvest time, it's here. It's ripe now. This is the time for the harvest. It's not waiting time anymore. There is no more waiting period. No, no, it's right now. It's not four months later. It's not tomorrow. It's not when, when you get good grades. It's not when you, you graduate from high school. It's not when you go to university. It's not when you get a job. It's not when you get a good career. It's not when you're financially stable. It's not when you, you get a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a spouse. It's not when you have kids. It's not when your kids are grown up. It's not when you're wiser and older. It's right now. The harvest time is here. Open up your eyes. It's not up to you when you deem it's convenient for the harvest time. I tell you tonight, it's here. Tonight. And then Jesus continues. Even the reaper draws his wages and the harvest and the crop for eternal life. So that, okay, now this is an important line. You can underline this, this little sentence. So that the sower... And the reaper may be glad together. So who's who in this situation? Who's the sower? Who's the sower? Have a guess. Sunday school answer. Jesus. If the sower is Jesus, what makes, and then who's, who's the reaper? It's us. It's us. We're the reapers. And then, then he says, thus the saying, one sows and another one reap is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you, all you need to do is reap the benefit of their labor. Open up your eyes, church. Look up. Look up, disciples. Open up your eyes. In the moment these disciples would have looked up, imagine them, just you're them, you're there. And Jesus says, okay, the, it's not four months, it's now. The harvest is ready. Look up. You know, the moment they open up their eyes and look up, do you know what they're seeing? It's not golden pastures that look magnificent, golden wheat flying everywhere. No, no, that's not what they see. What they see is the land of Samaria. What they see is a barren place. What they see is a group of Samaritans walking towards them. A group of people whom they deem as unworthy, whom they deem as half-castes, whom they deem as traitors to the faith, whom they deem as filthy, half-breeds, moguls, if you will, whom they deem as because of the, the area, the location of Samaria, there is no living water, there is no fresh water, there is no running water. And so all these Samaritans, they're ceremonially unclean. Because only living water you can use to make unpure worshippers clean. And so these Samaritans, they're the dirty ones. They're the enemies. They're the people that we try to avoid. And so as they look up, they're not seeing a whole bunch of we. They're seeing a whole bunch of people. 
people whom they avoid, people whom they don't like. Church, I can't stress to you enough for you to even appreciate what they're seeing is you have to understand there has been about 500 years worth of hostility and war between these two nations. They just hate each other. They send little skirmish parties out to raid one another. And just recently, 120 years before this whole situation at the well where Jesus and the Samaritan and disciples at the well, just 120 years before this, the Jews, they sent a skirmish party to go to the Samaritan temple up in the mountain and they burnt that down because they believed, hey, God only resides on our temple in Jerusalem, not on your temple in the mountain. He only resides at Jerusalem, not in the mountain. And they burnt that temple down. There is much blood. There is much beef between these two nations and the disciples. They looked up and that's what they saw. People whom they didn't like. But Jesus says, look, open up your eyes. The people whom you look down on, the people whom you view as your enemies, the people whom you're trying to avoid, the people whom you deem as weird, the people whom you hate, the people whom you deem as dirty, they're the harvest. That's the harvest. Here's the thing, church. If you don't recognize who the harvest is, you won't ever go out to reap them. I'll say it again. If you don't recognize who the harvest is, you will never, ever go out to reap them. And let me spell it out for you more clearly, church. This is who's the harvest? It's your neighbor, it's your boss. It's your colleagues. It's that kid at school who's a loser, who's always sitting in the corner and no one wants to be friend with. He's the harvest. It's also that great bully who picks on everyone for lunch money. He's the harvest. It's your mother-in-law. I love my mother-in-law. Maybe it's you have a bad mother-in-law. I, I don't know. <laughs> your father-in-law. In-laws. <laughs> yeah. But they're the harvest. People whom you deem as your enemies. And who else is the harvest? Here's the thing. It's anybody. Anybody. Anybody that you come into contact with, they are the harvest. And Jesus says the harvest is plentiful. It's plentiful. So the harvest is not four months more. It's here. You see them walking towards you? That's your harvest. There's a joy in going out into this field and, and being glad with the sower as, as you reap. And I just want to share a few stories that, that I have encountered in my life. Uh, when I was going to Bible college, this is around eight, ten years ago, um, I reserved every Monday night just to go out to the city just to evangelize the people. Because I believe, hey, Jesus, you said the harvest is plentiful. You said you'll help me. You said you'll give me the words. I'm going to test that. I shouldn't test God, but I went to the city, and this is my first encounter. I only can few, share a few stories with you. I'll, I'll share a few that, that really that's had an impact on me. So this is my first encounter. I, I walked 
around the city and everyone was just smoking. I'm like, I don't want to talk to smokers because I have asthma. And, and I was talking to them, still nothing, nothing throughout the whole night. No one wanted to talk to me. They thought, who's this weird Asian kid that's just trying to, I'm on my smoko break, like, leave me alone. <laughs> like, it didn't go well. And at the end of the night, I was walking around. I'm like, God, didn't you promise? Jesus, didn't you promise? Didn't you sh- aren't you going to show me who to talk to? And when I said that, there was this guy that catches the corner of my He was just sitting alone. And God's like, go talk to him. Long story short, I came, I sat next to him. He used to be Catholic and I didn't even bring a Bible on me, but I had a pencil and I had a piece of paper and I scribbled something on the piece of paper. I'm like, oh man, he's never going to believe this. Next minute, he was doing the sinner's prayer with me. And I kid you not, during, okay, this is Brisbane City. It's a kind of a pagan place. And when we were praying, the song, there was a gospel song that was singing about grace and God. And I'm like, no way. In the city? When they just play Justin Bieber and Spice Girls, whatever, but they're playing this type of gospel song at this moment during our prayer, God, you're so good. And so from week in, week out, I went and I went, and there's so many stories. And then there was this other one, this other, this other story where I went to the city, this time with a friend. He's, he's a big friend. His name's Hui. And we went out and we were... We, we kind of figured it out because we had a few weeks already. We figured it out. Okay, we, we're going to look for lonely people because lonely people will talk to us. We're going we're gonna to pick the loneliest guy, the guy that looks the most loser. We're going we're gonna to aim for them. They're easy target and it's two on one. We're going to outnumber them. We've got two mouths. They've got one and they don't look like they, they can socially talk. We'll, we'll pick those people. So then we can just give out our you know, Bible spew. And so we did. We found one. There was this, this Asian guy just sitting on this bench and he was just staring at the Christmas lights because it was Christmas during there. He was just staring. And I'm like, okay, he definitely got nothing to do. He's just staring and we're staring at him. And he's, he's just staring out into space. And so we came, we came to him and we, we said, hey, can, can we talk to you? Can we talk to you about the true meaning of Christmas? He looks at me and he's like, yeah. And, and so he, he stands up. Uh, he's Korean, by the way. And so that's how I think Koreans say, yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> sorry, if, uh, sorry for the Koreans in the house. Anyway, he stands up and he starts tapping shoulders. One shoulder, two shoulder, three shoulder. Next minute, we were surrounded by 10 to 12 Koreans. The tables have turned. <laughs> We thought we were going to outnumber this guy, but man, this guy, he had friends. He had a lot of friends. And so we're like, all right, I'm still going to share anyways. And I started talking with them and I figured, man, these guys, they have bad English, man. <laughs> Everything went out the window. Everything that I, like a whole essay that I had, had to go out the window because they're saying yes and no and I'm like, how old are you? They're like, yes, oh man. Oh, this is going to go nowhere. But I still tried. I'm like, okay. So I was just explaining to them what Christmas is and everything. How Jesus died, how he rose again. And at the end of it all, 
how he was staring at the lights into space, same reaction. <laughs> and I asked him, the whole time, their, their eyes were like, they look so clueless. I'm like, man, it's going nowhere. But hey, do you think this is good news? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> what? You do? And I'm like, I'm not believing him. <laughs> I don't believe you, bro. I don't think you understood what I meant. So then I go through it again. So I'm like, guys, do you really think that Jesus is the savior of the world? Yeah. And then some more said of them, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, I was shocked. And I'm like, so that means you want to, you know, pray and Jesus enter your life or something? And they're like, yeah. And I knew they were serious. Because why? It was in the midst of people just walking through and across Queen Street Mall. There was me and my friend and a whole bunch of Koreans down on our knees praying to God. The harvest is plentiful. If you don't know who the harvest is, you won't ever reap them. Do you have to be a great theologian to, to preach the gospel? No. No. Some of you may think, well, oh, Dexter, that's, that's just you. You're an extrovert. You're a pastor. You're equipped to do this. You were even going to Bible college at that time. Like you know exactly what to do, what to say. No, that's not true. If you look at this passage, who was this woman? This woman was a Samaritan woman. And, 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 and do you think she was an extrovert? No. She seems more to me like an introvert than anything. Because two weeks ago, I was talking about how she wants to avoid any, everybody. She doesn't want any encounters. But then she runs back to the town that she avoids. And how many times did she meet Jesus? Once. Once was enough. Does she know much about Jesus? I say no. She doesn't know much about Jesus, but she met Jesus. And so you know what she did? She didn't go back to town Bible bashing everybody. She didn't go back to town giving all these theological points on PowerPoint. No, she didn't do any of that. All she did was say this. Come, see a man who told me everything I've done. Could this be the Messiah? Could this be the Christ? Could this be the Savior of the world? Come see him. She didn't give them a, a law, rule, and regulation. She didn't have any of that. All she was doing was introducing someone. All she was doing was saying, hey, come meet a man I've met. All she was equipped with was her testimony, her story on how she met Jesus, how he told her everything about herself, yet still offered her living water, still offered her eternal life. Tim Keller says to be fully loved but not fully known is superficial. It's shallow. It means nothing. But to be fully known but to not be fully loved, that's our worst nightmare. But to be fully known and loved, that's heaven. That's what Christ does for us. And so, because of that,
She tasted this water, this living water that wells up out of her and she just had to share. What's your excuse, church? How long have you been a Christian? How long have you gone to church and you have hid your faith? How long? This woman, this was, met Jesus, shared about Jesus. And with the harvest time, there is a sense of urgency. Any farmer can tell you that. Because if they don't reap the harvest in time, a lot will go to waste. Icos Church, I want you to have a sense of urgency. I don't know when Jesus is coming back. I don't know when the world is ending. But I know when the harvest is, and it's now. There has to be a sense of urgency in us. And I'll finish off with this last story. There was a famous ship in the 1900s that captivated thousands and millions of people because it was the most largest, most luxurious ship known to mankind at that time. It was so big. It was so magnificent. It was AKA the unsinkable. Anybody know who, what that ship name is? Yes, that's, the, that's right, the Titanic. Who here seen the movie? All right, a lot of people seen the movie. Okay, so it's been out 21 years already. So spoiler alert, I don't care. You had 21 years to watch it. <laughs> it's not unsinkable, <laughs> okay? This thing sinks. Well, this movie, it's been out for 21 years, but I've only recently watched it. Now, this was, I think, around three, four years ago when Demi went on a cruise with her family and... And I was left alone, and what happened was... (laughs) Anyways, she went on a cruise, and I was alone, and I just decided to gather, and I'm like, I haven't seen the movie Titanic. And so I gathered a group of friends over, and and we just started watching Titanic. Worst decision ever. (laughs) I'm like, I was so worried about Demi. I was just praying. I'm like, Lord, don't let her ship sink. And I was crying the whole time. My friends were all looking at me. It's like, are you right next to her? And I'm like, don't look at me, Aaron. Don't look at me. Turn around. Worst decision ever. But um, there was many stories that came out of the events of Titanic. A lot, many survivors that, that shared their testimony, their story, um, on, on what the ship was, was like, who was in that ship, or, or, or how it all went down. And, and I want to concentrate on a character that wasn't in the movie, and his name was John Harper. Now, you might have heard of him, you might not. Now, John Harper, he was a pastor who was invited to go to America to preach there. And so he boarded this Titanic. And on 14th of April, 1912, the Titanic hit an iceberg at around 11 40 p.m. Now, no one knows what has happened yet. Everyone was still dancing. Everyone was still chatting. They don't know the grave danger that they're in until there was signal flares that just light up the sky and then only people caught on. We are in big trouble. And so what John Harper did that night was he he has already tucked his six-year-old daughter in bed. And when when he caught all this commotion that's happening on, he he quickly woke his daughter up. He wrapped her in this blanket and he carried her towards this lifeboat. You know the lifeboat in the movie? He was allowed to go on. Him and his daughter received a life jacket each. 
Why was he allowed on? Because he was a widower. There was only him and his daughter left. And so he was allowed to go on board to take care of her. And so as he puts the life jacket on himself, his daughter, he, he puts his daughter on this lifeboat. He looks at his daughter. She's safe. She's out of harm's way. But then he looks back and you see people screaming, people crying. He saw thousands of soul that's going to perish tonight. And he knew exactly where he needed to be. He knew exactly what he needed to do. And so he kissed his daughter and he said goodbye, knowing that she's already known the Lord and is going to walk with the Lord and that she's safe and out of harm's way. He kisses her and he leaves. Man, when I first heard that story, I'm like, man, I don't know if I could do that. Because, you know, I'm just imagining, okay, if my wife actually passed away, I hope she doesn't, I hope she lives a long life. I love her. And I haven't even carried my kid that's a few weeks old. I know, not a few weeks old. It's in a few weeks it will be born. <laughs> I don't even hold my daughter yet. But I love her so much already, just with interacting with her. Every night as I sleep on my right side, Demi also sleeps on her right side. And so her belly is always on my back. And I'm always feeling this baby kicking me, saying, Daddy, Daddy, I'm here. Daddy, Daddy, I'm here. I haven't held her in my arms, but I love her so much already. I don't want to be ever separated from her. And I'm just thinking, this man, you know that your daughter does not have a mother and now you're making her fatherless that seems pretty heartless but he knew his mission he knew that this was harvest time so he kissed his daughter goodbye and he and he ran there was testimonies of people witnessing what he did they they described there was this madman who just ran to people after people, just grabbing them, trying to fight for their attention as they were run, screaming out in panic. And he was saying, you, are, are you a believer? Are you a believer? Do, do you know Jesus yet? And they're like trying to run away. And he just keeps running to the next person after the next person. He's like, do you know Christ yet? You know this boat is going down, but you can't go down without Jesus. You need to know him. And there was this one witness who, who witnessed this scene. And this guy was so angry at John Harper, a guy who's this, this maniac, this lunatic who's just stating the obvious, I know we're going to die. I know this is going down. Let me go, you madman. Like, I need to get out of here. I need to try to find some safety. I need to cling on to something. And, and John Harper is just not letting him go. He's like, hey, you just need to listen to me. Just give me a moment. I need to tell you about Jesus Christ. And and it got really violent until John Harper gets pushed down. He gets pushed down. He's on the floor. And at that moment, he realizes this man is going to walk away from him without ever knowing Jesus Christ. And so John Harper stands up. He, he takes off his life vest and he puts it on this man. And he says... 
You need this more than I ever do. I hope you survive. Because he knows this man needs that life vest. He needs, it's a false hope. He just wants to give this man a better opportunity of knowing Jesus Christ later on. And so John Harper, he runs to the next person, doing the exact same thing to everyone he encounters on that ship. Do you know Jesus yet? No. Let me tell you about him. Let me quickly tell you about him. Four years later, when Titanic has already sank and people came and gathered around to just talk about what happened, there was new testimonies about John Harper, um, you know, new stories that started to emerge about him. And, and there was this witness. He said, I was holding on to a piece of wreckage, just trying to stay afloat. It was cold. It was dark. It was hopeless. Hypothermia is setting in. I thought this is it. I thought I'm going to die. And out come this madman, this lunatic, also on a piece of wreckage. He starts pedaling over. And he starts saying weird stuff like, Hey, do you know Jesus? Who's Jesus? Let me tell you about him. You need to know him. And I thought he was so weird. I'm like, get away from me. I just want to die in peace now. Like, I don't want to get to know anybody else. You don't need to introduce me to anybody else. Like, just get away from me. Trying to push him away. And he's trying to cling on until a wave came up, a swell came up and, and took Harper away. And he was flushed away quite a distance. But this John Harper, he's still fighting. And he's still swimming. He's swimming back to the guy. Are you a believer yet? No, just leave me alone. You need to believe. You need to believe. Those were his last words before he sank and was no more. And the witness said, I thought about it. I thought about what he said. And so that night, I gave my life to Christ. I asked him into my heart. I am John Harper's last convert. Church, if you're here today and you have not met Jesus yet, or maybe you're Christian, you claim to be, but you're just faking it, you know, we, we welcome you here. But if you have not met Jesus yet, I want to tell you a little bit about Him. He loves you so much that He came down to die on a cross for you, to die for all of your sin. He's willing to forgive all of your sin. Everything that you have ever done, He is willing to take it upon Himself. He is willing to take upon the judgment, the wrath, the death, the hell that you and I deserve. He loves you that much. Look, you can go through life without Jesus, but I tell you what, church, you cannot afford to die without Him. And if you want to know Him, you can pray in your heart right now. Jesus, can you reveal yourself to me? Can you show me who you are? Can I experience this, this love that all these lunatics are talking about? And if you're a Christ follower already, this is good news. 
we have this good news that is worth dying for. It is worth giving up everything. You know, I highly doubt that any of you here are called to leave your daughter, to give away your life vest, to give away your lifeboat position. I, I highly doubt that's your calling. The most persecution that any of you will ever face is probably a smirk. Some people laughing at you. Maybe you lose one or two Facebook friends. That's all. But this good news that we have is too good to keep to ourselves. The harvest is here. There is not much time for us to go out and gather. Jesus is inviting you today because He says the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Taste the food that Jesus is talking about. Taste the joy. Join His joy in in fulfilling the will of the Father. The harvest isn't months away. It's, It's here. It's here. You can start the moment you walk out these gates. And at the end of time, I promise you, it's going to be worth it. You can take my word for it. You can take Jesus' word for it. It's going to be worth it. God bless you, church.